Choose Linux, episode 31, for March 19th, 2020. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm Mel. And here we are for episode 31. And let's start with Distro Hoppers, Solus. It's been a long time since I've used Solus, but my memory of it was that it was really fast, looked really nice, and worked really well. And this time around, same story. Had a great experience. I'm hoping you two did as well. This by far has been my favorite distro hop. This was, I don't know, I, can I just keep it, please? Yeah, nothing's stopping you. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, too. It's, uh, like you said, really, really fast. And I even loaded it up in a VM, and it's one of the best performing operating systems I've ever put in a VM. Not only did it have Vert.io and guest editions pre-installed, it just booted up so quickly and was so snappy the entire time running in a, a virtual machine. I was amazed. So there are four different editions. There's Budgie, Gnome, Mate, and KDE Plasma. I just looked at the Budgie version because that's the original and it's their flagship desktop. Yeah, I looked at Budgie too. I was really curious to see how it's improved since I last looked at it a couple of years ago, and I was really pleasantly surprised. Well, y'all know I gave up on the other distro hop a little earlier than y'all did, so I had a bit more time. So I tried Budgie for a little bit, and then I jumped over to Monte. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys, I don't understand the difference in kind of the desktop wars that are occurring right now, because I didn't notice that big of a change. I wouldn't call it wars that are happening. I'd say it's friendly competition, but I think it all comes down to how they've configured it, because... The way the Mate edition of Solus has been configured, it's very much like the Budgie version. You've got one panel at the bottom. They've taken advantage of the configurability to make it in their own image, as it were. Yeah, they're kind of shifting away from the GNOME 2 paradigm that Mate was really invented to keep around. And it's interesting to see that they went that direction. It feels almost more like XFCE just from the screenshots I've looked at than it does what I think of as Mate. Maybe you guys can do a little bit of, I guess, education for those of us that are new to desktop hopping. Is that a new, the next thing? But okay, so Mate says it's a traditional desktop for advanced users and older hardware. I just don't understand what makes it, I guess, more complicated that would be for advanced users or what's different in the desktop, not the operating system, that would make it for older hardware. I think the advanced part is that it is incredibly configurable, whereas Budgie is somewhat configurable, but not as much. With Mate, you can make it look and act like a whole bunch of different desktops and operating systems, whereas Budgie tends to be not quite as configurable. Yeah, that really has to be what they mean by that, because I've never found Mate to be particularly difficult. It's something that is immediately recognizable, where you know where to click to get to where you want to go. So to me, traditional makes sense, but advanced, I yeah, it really has to just be that it's configurable. It may have to do with the fact that someone... <clears throat> edited Wikipedia for Mate to say that it's a backronym for Mate Advanced Traditional Environment. I don't know who would have done that, though. 
What about the second part of that question? What part of the desktop environment would affect it being better for older hardware? Well, a big part of it would be whether or not it uses a compositor, which uses 3D effects to make your desktop a little shinier. And I think the other part of that would be animations. I'm not entirely sure because I've only used Mate in these little distro tests, but I don't think that it has the same caliber or maybe the same amount of animations that you would see in something like Gnome or even Plasma. So that could be part of why it's so good for older hardware. I do often see it compared to XFCE in terms of how well it performs. And it is a popular choice for lightweight distros and even BSDs. So I think it's probably mostly the lack of compositing as a necessity and possibly simpler animations. What about the next two? Maybe you guys might have a little bit more on these since I think you've used them more. So Gnome says a contemporary desktop experience, whereas Plasma says a sophisticated desktop experience. Like, what? <laughs> well, it's all just marketing terms, isn't it, really? I think with Gnome, it's contemporary because it is the most modern in terms of paradigm. It moved away from the traditional idea of a desktop paradigm with icons on the desktop and a panel with a menu. It's a completely different experience that is very modern. And so I can see why they would call that a contemporary desktop experience. Plasma, a sophisticated experience. Well, sophisticated, I think, is is just marketing there. But they say for tinkerers, because Plasma is the ultimate when it comes to configurability. Mate and XFC are pretty configurable. GNOME, without extensions, is not very configurable at all. Plasma, you can change everything, and I mean everything to suit your taste. But what they've done with it is broadly make it look like budget by default. Maybe I'll make this stick around a little longer and play with the plasma option to see if I, I notice that much of a difference with what I can change. Well, you always talk about rabbit holes. Believe me, that is a rabbit hole getting into the configuration of plasma. Yeah, no kidding. But to the point, I did want to talk about budget a little bit. I think that Budgie has really gotten very good in the past few years. It is fast, and it's relatively gorgeous using the Plateau Noir theme by default. And it's a dark theme by default, which you know I like. Joe, you were maybe a little less enthused by that, but I personally think it's pretty cool. I think this implementation of it is cool. I think dark themes are very hard to pull off. I think you can go too dark and things can be a bit difficult to see and then you end up straining your eyes and then it has the complete opposite effect of what you're aiming for. Whereas with this, I think they've done a really good job of getting it just right. Yeah, good. But one thing that I still find strange is the Raven sidebar. I don't get it. It's not something that I want to use and... I can just remove it from the panel and forget about it. But it is kind of a big part of Budgie. See, I actually like Raven. I think it's nice to have all of that stuff in a little pop-out sidebar where I know exactly where to go look if I want to you know, adjust the volume on whatever's playing on Spotify or whatever other Empress-enabled media player I have going or check a list of notifications or... Yeah, just kind of dig into what's happening on my computer. It's it's all right there. 
Hey guys, before you continue, what about the people who haven't used this before and don't know what Raven is? <laughs> Did you notice that little arrow next to the clock in the right-hand corner, the bottom right corner? Yes. If you click that, suddenly a sidebar pops out. <laughs> Maybe that's why I didn't notice such a difference in budgie. I needed to click more buttons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does suggest the icon, and I've said this for years, the icon suggests that it's log out because it's... It just looks like a logout icon. And so if you don't want to log out, you're probably not going to click it. It really does. The iconography is like an arrow pointing towards a door, which to me, I had to click it to find out, oh, yeah, this is how I access Raven. Okay, cool. I've heard of this. Let's check it out. But once you get in there, it's got little applets. So the applets are configurable and you can add and remove things. But generally, what you're looking at is like a calendar and volume controls, and you've got you know, media player controls, and then there's a tab for your notifications, and it will have a list of your notification history that you can interact with. Or one thing that I really liked about it is there's a button right there to silence notifications. I think every desktop needs to have this feature built in, period. It is a godsend. So I did use the silencing notifications, but I guess I just accessed it a different way. One thing that I liked about this OS is it actually worked. And maybe it's just the hardware I was using. I don't know, but I love Pop. You guys know I love it and a bunch of others. And for some reason, when I click the silence notifications, I still get them. Oh, right. But not with Solus. It actually did silence them. Yeah. That, I mean, that is just one of the many reasons that I want to keep it. Like, You don't know how embarrassing it is to go up and present in front of people, and then there are your Slack messages with your friends up on the screen. <laughs> yeah, that'd be terrible because you use online slides, don't you? I always have offline slides, and I say always. The one time I've presented, I did it with totally offline, not connected to Wi-Fi, but... If you need the internet for your slides, then I guess you're going to get your notifications unless you can silence them. Yeah, no, um, I, and maybe this is something we can talk about later, but I use Node.js so that people could follow along as I'm presenting. And so, yeah, I have to have real live environments. And more than once, I've had a pop-up where I'm like, well, everybody just saw that. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too embarrassing, I hope. Oh, we're just, like I said, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Can we take a second to talk about EO package? Now, we can talk about the graphical package manager if, if we want in a bit, but my instinct is to go for the terminal. It is the fastest package manager I have ever used. And it's also really intuitive as well. I never need to look at the man page or whatever. It is just sudo EO package install VLC or whatever. It just is intuitive and super fast. See, I went for their software center, which I have a lot of really nice things to say about it. First of all, it's attractive and well laid out. I do wish that the search section, instead of being over with the categories, maybe was at the top where I kind of expect it to be. But other than that, it is so easy to go through and find applications and install them. And not only that, when you actually click into an application, it has three tabs, a description of it, and then it has a change log and the licensing information. And having the change log directly in the package manager in such a nicely laid out way is huge. I loved that feature. And 
having a license tab doesn't hurt either so that you can go and see exactly what kind of software you're getting if that's something that you're into, which sometimes I am. I don't even know where to start with this because I loved the GUI installer. Like I used both. There were, I'll get to that. But the biggest things for me were when I used this several weeks and there were several updates that happened during that time. And I would just get the little pop-up asking if I wanted to do them. I'd go click install and that was it. Like I continuously stayed up to date without having to go back and check with the exception of the third-party apps. The third-party app section would have you go back and click a button to see if there were any updates available. So I, I don't know where the disconnect there is, but it was still really simple to use. One thing that I found with the updates is that you've got some compulsory ones which are kind of grayed out and checked by default. And then you've got other ones which they suggest, which you do have to manually check the boxes for. I like that because it protected me from myself. And I think it would do that for others who might not have that much experience. Like most of those are operational and security updates that really you probably shouldn't have a choice for if you're a new user. Like just keep me secure. Yeah, but the way I see it, just update everything. It'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I like to just hit that update button whenever I see it and roll with whatever new software I get. Now, if something breaks, I will downgrade, but I usually like to try it first. I'd be interested to find out if you guys ran into the issue that I did with the third-party center. And that was, it was so slow. I mean, it was running through the mud where I eventually just ended up giving up. And that's when I moved over to the command line. You know, I didn't install much of the third-party software, but one thing I was wondering is, how is this stuff packaged? Is it actually going through EOPackage? Is it a separate repository? What makes it so that this stuff is separate from the rest of the repo? That's one thing that I never quite figured out. Well, although I did have a look at the GUI updater and installer, I mostly used EOPackage, so I'm not sure on that one. I did run into some software that wasn't available in the repos, and that is, I think, part of Solus being a smaller distro. They just don't have everything packaged. But what they do have installed by default are snaps. And so you can just snap install anything, and that opens up a huge catalog of software, which plugs the gaps, I think. You know what else they have by default? And I'm in love is documentation. Seriously, some of the best documentation that I've seen in the longest time. You know, I install Slack. I I do. I've owned that a few times. And I had just a screen out there that was like, okay, hey, pull this repo, install this, like just everything to how it was going to work. If I was brand new, there were even screenshots showing me what I should expect. I loved it. Oh, for Slack, I just snap installed Slack. Job done. But we're supposed to test out the actual OS. (laughs) I know, but we keep coming back to this. If they offer snaps out of the box, then I think that's fine to use them. Well, and that brings up a good point, too, because I actually did install Flatpak through FlatHub integration. And I do have one little nitpick here. The Flatpak version in the Solus repos is pretty old and doesn't support things like fuzzy search. So... It is a little more difficult than it is on other distros to use Flatpak, which I was a little disappointed by. But given how much the official repos have grown since the last time I looked at Solus, it's significantly less of an issue than I thought it was going to be. Well, since I did stick to the basic command line and didn't go fancy with you guys, I'll share one more victory. And you guys were in the meeting during this because I was able to install Zoom, make it work, 
connect to a meeting and my Bluetooth and my mic worked perfectly. I don't think I've had another hop do that yet. You know what else worked automatically? Printers. (laughs) Even while I was on the live USB, it found and added my printer on the Wi-Fi network. I mean, you just win Linux there. If you can get the the printer to work by default, that's it. Mic drop. Yeah, I didn't even have to touch anything. I just got this notification. Printer, blah, 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 is connected. What? Wow. Besides documentation, you all know that community is huge for me, and it's one of the reasons that I've been such a Pop! OS fan. I kind of found the same thing here. I went over to, you know, the Get Involved page. They have a very active community forum, and it's it's fun. It's dead. They don't take themselves too seriously. There's more than a few threads going like, show us your desktop environment, and just, I don't know, people kind of bonding over their enjoyment of configuring and tweaking the area. People were very responsive. They answered questions, and I even found their IRC channel to be a bit active. I didn't spend too much time in it, to be honest with you. Um, I will close IRC and then forget it exists, but I was really pleasantly surprised to find a community that just seemed so open and accepting of new people. Yeah, I've found that before with the Solus community. I think because it is one of the smaller distros, but it is really good at the same time, it kind of seems to attract a, a very sort of hardcore audience who want it to grow. And I have always felt warmth when I've interacted with their community. So yeah, that's good to see that that's still the case. So normally at the end of these, I ask, is it going to stick around? It sounds like for you, L, definitely. I mean, any OS that has memes in their documentation, I'm going to have to stick around for a while. For me, I'm not sure. It's something that I will return to, but I just can't see me using it as a daily driver because it is such a small distro. It's something we talked about last time. It just worries me that it could go away. I mean, it is fairly easy to switch distros these days. But I just feel more comfortable with an Ubuntu base. And also, there's no XFCE version. So, you know, obviously, I have to stick to Ubuntu. Given that I was so pleasantly surprised with how much progress Budgie has made, I am kind of curious to check this out a little bit more. And I also noticed a lot of pro audio stuff has been added to the repo since the last time I looked. It seems like this might be a good distribution for audio production. And I'm going to need to investigate that a little bit more. I may not be moving to it full time anytime soon, but I certainly need to see if it's something that I might consider. Before we move on to something else, can I say to the developers of Solus, please don't make it go away. Please don't pull a Corora and break my Linux heart again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully it'll stick around. So something you two have been going on about and that I tried as a snap on Solus is Visual Studio Code. I must say, I opened it and was overwhelmed. So you're going to need to sell this to me, I think. Overwhelmed by a text editor. Right? That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, (laughs) does Word overwhelm you too? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I have to use Google Docs. Well, let me put it this way. I really have enjoyed Visual Studio Code, and I didn't really want to. When I first opened it up, I was thinking to myself, okay, I keep hearing this is great, but is it going to drag me away from NeoVim? And it has. Just hands down, it has. I install it via Flatpak personally, uh, though it is also available in a snap. And interestingly enough, in Solus, it's available in the regular repos. You don't have to go to one of these 
other app stores like Flatpak or Snap to get it. There is an open source version available in the Flatpak store as well. But personally, I just go with the full version. There's not too much that's included beyond the open source stuff. It's mostly integrations with like Twitter and things like that. And none of it is so heinous to me that I won't just use the full version. But when you really get down to it, it's just a really good text editor. It's got all the features you really want. And then it also has extensions. One of the things that I've loved about Visual Studio Code is it's available no matter what distro I'm on, what hop we're doing. So I don't really have to stop the projects that I'm working on. It's so easy to install. Every OS I think that I've done so far, or I guess I should say distro, had it in the store. The few times I don't remember it being there was a one button click from the website. And I was up and running. The documentation is easy. It's well formatted. It has great examples. So even if you ran into some issues, I don't know how you would, but if you did with the install process, they break it down to screenshots and code snippets. That's why I don't understand being overwhelmed by it is because it's so well documented that they highlight sections with little arrows showing you what you need to do where. Okay, let me clarify what I mean here. I use mousepad or gedit or leafpad, basic text editors that are reminiscent of Notepad on Windows. I wasn't overwhelmed by the fact that it's a text editor. I was overwhelmed by the sheer number of options and integrations that I, as someone who edits config files and maybe a bit of HTML, just find massively overkill. I think it just depends, I guess, how much you're doing and what you're doing. I used to code in Vim. And I'm sitting there just trying to get through this. And one of my friends is like, you know, hey, if you're doing HTML, why don't you try Sublime Text? So I did that for a little bit. And another friend sees me going from Sublime Text over to documentation, back to it, over to examples. And they're like, why don't you just use visual code? And when I installed it and I would make an error, you could just like left click and it would tell you exactly what your error was and how to fix it. And It just made my learning how to code so much easier. And I just don't see that in something like Vim or Nano or even Sublime Text. Yeah, exactly. And even for config files, because I'm not a programmer, I don't do any programming, but I have been hacking away at config files for quite a while. And, you know, the occasional like Docker Compose or something like that. One of the best features about VS Code is it's extremely strong syntax highlighting. And it will pick up what type of file it is by its extension most of the time. But sometimes with config files, they're just config with no extension. But if you happen to know what the formatting is, there's a little button down at the bottom where you can click it and tell it, this is Markdown, this is XML, this is, you know, whatever, JSON. And it will automatically go through and highlight everything in it and it will grant you suggestions so like say if you do an open bracket it'll go ahead and put a close bracket for you it will let you kind of debug the code visually while you're going through it even if it's just a config file and it's so intelligent about it it's a little alarming at first but once you get used to it you realize that it's just there trying to help you and you learn to roll with it. Why am I not surprised coming from a fish shell user? That <laughs> reminds me of that. That's what I don't like about fish. I don't want it to tell me what to do. I want to tell it what to do. 
Well, you're still telling it what to do. It's just providing suggestions to autocomplete for you. It's not saying, oh, do this. It's saying, oh, you're trying to do this. I think I can help. Let me tell you guys how well it has integrated into my job. When I go to a conference, I've got my laptop. My laptop has my slides up. Then behind it, I have Visual Studio Code running. On that, I have the config files for my Hugo page and the config files for my slides. If I catch a mistake or anything, I just tab over to it, fix it on the left side. On the right side, I have the visual where I can see and ensure that the fix is correct. And at the very bottom, I have the Visual Studio command line where I just do my git push and we're up and running. Everything that I need to fix problems, to add resources to my slides or to my web page is in one window. Well, and let's talk about that preview for a second, because this is one of my favorite features. I write in Markdown a lot. (laughs) And so when I write a Markdown document and then I go to read it, like, for example, for the show, my personal show notes are in Markdown in Visual Studio Code in front of me. Me too. And I've got the preview open, but I don't have to have it be split screen. You can actually drag the tab over right next to where you've got the actual markdown file, and the preview will be a single panel without having to have the code open. If you go and edit the code, it will automatically update the preview, and you can go right back to it. It is so handy. I have been looking for a good fast, easy markdown editor for forever. And this has fit the bill, hands down, no problems. But it can also do things like HTML or really anything else where the code gets translated into some kind of visual medium. That's what I've loved about the extensions is I'll be typing away and then click on the extensions and it'll have recommendations of, okay, so the one that I use that just makes me laugh is the spell check extension because it's not really code, but it really helps when making a web page. Yeah. And there's a fish shell extension too, just so you know, Joe. (laughs) You are kind of selling this to me, but the only time I ever need a text editor is either SSH into a server, in which case I'm using Nano or I'm editing really basic HTML, in which case the syntax highlighting in most really basic text editors are good enough. And I'm mostly just copy-pasting stuff, to be honest. Um, A spell check would be handy, I suppose. But at previews, I just have it locally and open it in the browser and just refresh that tab and check what's changed. I, I do see how this could be more convenient, but... I have kind of developed a workflow over the years that works for me. And this all-in-one solution just doesn't seem like something I want to do. Wait, Joe, what if I told you, and it is true, that Visual Studio Code natively comes with an SSH extension that allows you to connect remotely to your virtual machines and to other servers, all within VS Code, so you can edit your files? But then I wouldn't use Nano anymore, and I'd be sad. (laughs) I'm going to blow your mind one other way, too you can save workspaces. So you can have any number of files open in the editor, save it as a workspace. And then when you go to reopen that workspace, it loads up all of those files and the directory structure in its built-in file explorer. That does sound handy, I have to admit, yes. (laughs) And one of my favorite features is multi-line editing. This is something that I used in Vim all the time. And I looked it up, and sure enough, VS Code has it. You just hold Control-Shift, and use the arrow keys to select the region that you want to edit, and it will edit all of those lines at the same time. Okay, that also sounds handy. Fair (laughs) enough. 
There's also a shortcut to insert a comment, and since it's intelligent about what kind of file you're working on, so long as you have the correct syntax selected, it will automatically insert the appropriate comment where you want it. What, so it knows whether to do um, hash or, or double? S- slash slash or whatever, yeah. When I was learning to do HTML, that was my favorite part because I would forget to close out a section and it would remember on its own. All right. Okay. You're selling this a little bit more to me. Okay. One more for you. (laughs) Really powerful search and replace that can work on multiple files at the same time. So say you have five files open and you realize that you want to change one word to be capitalized or lowercase. You can do that in all the files with a single click. Right. Yeah. That also sounds (laughs) extremely handy. (laughs) I didn't like the dark theme. I talked about that earlier. I think that this was not a good use of dark theme, but it was very easy to change it to a light theme, and suddenly I found it far easier to use. Yeah, and there are tons of color themes. I personally am using Nord because I really like the Nord color theme, but it, pretty much anything that you want, it's out there. Mine's in a purple and pink <laughs> set, so... Wow, that sounds like it would hurt my eyes. <laughs> I have to have it match my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems like you two are going to keep using this. I do have to give it another go. You have sold me on some of these features. We'll see if it sticks around, and maybe I'll mention it in a future episode. And if you want to get all those future episodes, go to choose slash subscribe, and there's ways there. And you can go to choose slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. And as always, you can find us at Twitter. I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at LOPunk. I'm at Drew of Doom. And I'm at Joe Rissington. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye.